and the gentle sound of Joburg getting ready for the night. And that was Jackie Thompson, the next guest on Zen Sandwich. You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast that encourages mindfulness, gratitude, and hopefully an occasional laugh. I'm Mark Reed, a former college professor and lawyer. Now I live in the countryside of Japan, make traditional Japanese paper, and try to make myself and the world a little better today than it was yesterday. I'm here twice a week, either with research and observations, or talking with inspiring, artistic, and influential people. The idea is to bring some calm and kindness to the world and help you do the same. Hey, here we are. My guest today is Jackie Thompson, a freelance writer from South Africa. She's the author of three books, all of which were bestsellers. An Unpopular War recounts the experiences of South African defense forces in the Namibian and Golan Bush War, which sold over 60,000 copies and spent 49 weeks on the Sunday Times nonfiction top 10 bestseller list. She has also authored two cookbooks, which I am probably going to mispronounce, but I'll give her an opportunity to fix that later. Uh, Jush. And uh, I'll put a link in the notes so you can see the spelling because you're not going to get it just from my horrible pronunciation. Uh, Zush or Jush and Jush Faking It, uh, which were which both won several local and international awards. Uh, I'll ask her about that in a moment as well. She's an extensive traveler covering the uh, African continental motorcycle and Land Rover, as well as traveled all over Europe and North America. She's been a travel guide, but significantly most significantly, perhaps, she was uh, one of the first female game rangers in Southern Africa, overcoming many, many stereotypes and prejudices in so doing. It's a fascinating story. Welcome to the program, Jackie Thompson. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, uh, yeah, thank you for your time. I want to start with something very basic. Uh, describe the South African bush. I think uh, most of my listeners are American, and I, I think when we hear that term, we don't use it ourselves. But we're not not all of us are com- not all of us are completely ignorant. So I think we most of us think of the Australian usage of that term. How does the South African bush differ from the Australian rural landscape? And oh, completely different. First <laughs> off, I think the most obvious is um, we've got really large, dangerous mammals. Right. Um, and we tend to talk, uh, you know, here, if you're saying you're going to the bush, it could be somebody's really large farm. Uh, oh. The bush tends to be sort of more towards the eastern part of the country. And it's generally an area that is filled with with game. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the big five. Mm-hmm. As I said, it could just be someone's um, really large um, farm, which has perhaps buffalo on it, maybe um, a mixture of domestic and wild game. But the bush generally refers to just going outdoors where there are um, wild animals. Wild animals. What What's the big five? I assume lions and uh, elephants are yep. in that. What? Yes, lion, elephant, buffalo, leopard, and now that you've put me on the spot, I've gone completely blank. <laughs> a a rhino, rhino. Right. I was going to say maybe a rhino. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So you guys yeah, have rhino. All of that. That is amazing. It really is amazing from a sort of North American perspective to. Just imagine that stuff out in the wild like that. We only get to see it in a zoo or whatever. So, um, yeah, one of these incredible documentaries that are out now. 
but it, it is it's extraordinary to see any 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 wild animal in its mm. natural habitat it, it it is a very very different experience and every time I see rhino, they look like they've just fallen through some wormhole or time warp because they look so prehistoric. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know whether or not your listeners are, know where we came up with the term Big Five. No, I doubt it's it. It's got nothing to do with their size so much as um, those were, unfortunately, it was linked to hunting. And oh. when people came to the continent and were just wiping out left, right and center, courtesy of the gun. Mm. Um, these were considered the most dangerous animals to hunt. So that that's how they came up. These were the five most dangerous animals to hunt. Interesting. Yeah, I, I did presume that it was based on size. Wow. Uh, are, are they? Uh, are any of them endangered now? And uh, are any of them making a comeback? Because I know there have been some uh, preservation efforts to, you know, uh, stop like poaching and things like that yes we have we have a real big problem with that <laughs> yes there's a lot of different organizations working to prevent poaching um the rhino are probably the most endangered out of all of the big five hmm. but probably the one with the greatest loss of habitat which i found very interesting when i worked in the bush and was reading up on this um is lion and of course hmm. if you think about it they occurred right up the entire african continent into europe and i'm not sure if they ever occurred in England, but they were certainly on the on the European continent. So they have lost the most habitat out of any of the big five, which is wow. quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. I had, I had yeah. no idea. I had no idea they were ever in Europe. Wow, that's amazing. Oh, uh, well, so what what made you want? Uh, I mean, you obviously have a, a, a passionate interest in game and wildlife. Uh, you know, do, uh, is that what made you want to be a game ranger? Or did you have other motivations? Or you, you just were always fascinated by animals um always had a very strong connection with animals so always had animals in the house um but always always wanted to work in the bush and when i finished school i was kind of working before i'd finished school just to earn money um but immediately on finishing my matric i wanted to get into the bush and it was just it was just not an option this is the 1980s so south africa <laughs> was a very different climate to what it is now um, and um, I did apply. I sent uh, letters to everybody that I could possibly find. Bear in mind, of course, this is way before the internet. So writing and posting off letters and just trying to get a, a foot in the door. And it just was a no-go. It was a very a male-dominated um, domain. And women, you were there, but on a very in a very different role. And I'll never forget the one time I phoned uh, the parks board the south african parks board which was based in pretoria and it it is a parastatal so it was very afrikaans and i spoke to this lovely lady and i said you know this is my dream and i want to work in the bush and i'm prepared to do absolutely anything to get into the bush and uh, she said yeah i know she can understand that but um you know they just they don't hire women the only the only option that i have is to work at the entrance gates as a cashier Wow. So now she's talking about Kruger National Park, which is probably our most famous and an absolutely right. incredible park. So I said, well, that's kind of not really what I, I want to do. I, I want to do anything that's working in the bush, not, you know, not, not a cashier. So she said, okay, well, then I guess the curio shops like out as well. I said, definitely not. And she said to me, oh, actually, no, no, no. You won't be able to do that anyway, my dear. No, there's not a chance of that because all of those ladies are married to the rangers. So our advice to you is to marry into the bush. 
So I decided not to take that way. And I kept trying. So it was probably a decade later, I saw a teeny weeny little ad in the newspaper and it offered a trainee position. They were looking for three trainee rangers at a hundred rand a month. So I left Joburg. I gave up my lovely townhouse and garden and company car and company job and trotted off to the bush to earn a hundred rand a month. Hmm. And that was my that was my foot in the door with absolutely no regrets. It's it's an extraordinary opportunity. It really is a gift and a privilege to be working in the bush. Um, yeah. I'm talking more as a guide, you know, as opposed to working in the lodge or in the camps. Uh, and I've always thought it's something that I wish it was part of the the education system, the school curriculum that you had to when you finish, um, you had to go and work in the bush for a year because it just gives you perspective. Yeah. It connects you to the world because we are so disconnected in the cities. We 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 control our air, our, what we walk on, the temperature. You know, it's so artificial, and we just change the environment to suit ourselves. And I think everybody needs to re- be reminded that without the environment, we're not going to survive on this planet. And when you're in the bush and you are being rained on or you've got a thorn in your foot or it and you're seeing just how things work and how connected everything is it gives you a perspective for the rest of your life yeah that's awesome and i uh i certainly appreciate that and um uh and i i love the fact that you uh you may not have even been wholly conscious of it at the time but you, you know you're a bit of a pioneer then in becoming breaking through the whether you call it a glass ceiling or whatever, uh, you know, with your your dogged determination to uh, be a game ranger when you had people like that, the woman you were describing say, no, I think your best shot is just to marry into it. I mean, that's, that's so insulting now to even suggest that. Oh, my word. Yes, in this climate, you listen to that and you think, whoa, I, oh, that reminds me, I must tell you another another thing about just how the climate has changed. <laughs> but Mark, yeah, it, it was, you know, at the time, I, you know, I, it, you know it, was, it was equally insulting then, but it was just a very different mindset. You know, if you wanted to be a woman, then you were married to whoever it was that was working in the bush. But yeah. it reminds me of... Um, something I so I was working in the bush for over a decade and obviously there was a hang of a lot of changes in South Africa at the time Uh, Nelson Mandela was freed in 94 you know it was a very very different climate but I was happily living in the bush pretty clueless and and never been interested in politics as to what was happening in the in the rest of the country and the rest of the world and I then um, the lodge that I last was at as as head ranger ran into a whole lot of difficulties when there was a very tragic plane crash so I needed to find work and I was again looking in the in the newspaper and I saw an ad for a journalist Mm. uh, a trainee journalist cub reporter I think is what you would call it and I thought oh that sounds pretty good and it was over December I was going down to Cape Town to to see my sister and um, it said that you could apply after such and such a date so I made a note of the date in my diary and the telephone number you know, we're going back quite far. It's so different now. <laughs> and I then come January and I'm back in Johannesburg and I called the number and I spoke to a lady and I said, hi, I'm funny about the ad that I saw in December in the newspaper. Actually, I think it was the Sunday Times. And she was very awkward. And she sort of said, yeah, uh, well, uh, so did you read the ad, you know, carefully? I said, yes, yes, I did. I, you know, and I'm, you know, have I got the wrong number, the wrong person? <laughs> no, 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 no. It is me. Yes. No, you should be speaking to me. But, um, you know, like, did you, uh, you, you did you read everything like really carefully 
I said, I, d I did. I, it, you know, what is the problem? So she says, well, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's affirmative, affirmative action. So I said, well, you know, how affirmative do you want me to be? I'm picking up the phone and I'm calling you and I'm saying, you know, I want this job. And of course, affirmative action is not that. She had to explain it to me. And she said, how long did you say you were in the bush? And I told her, she said, okay, well, actually, no, this is what affirmative action means. So you don't actually qualify. <laughs> wow. So, uh, so I guess the term is used there in South Africa the same as it is in the United States. So it's uh, for minority applicants? Like Correct. To... Okay. Yeah. Well, Although here it's, it's not the minority because the minority are, are oh, um, right. white people mainly. Right, so it's right. more for what you would say previously disadvantaged. So it would be for people of color. Ah, well, that's actually a very uh, interesting point that, uh, that it's not a minority. I mean, that's the, the disadvantage from the American perspective is that uh, minorities are discriminated, but it's a different, yes. you're talking about a different uh, circumstance in Africa, in South Africa. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty unique. <laughs> yeah, wow, fascinating. Um, well, uh, switching gears here, tell me about mm -hmm. the the cookbooks. Uh, first, tell me how to pronounce it. Is it <laughs> Jush? <laughs> I did smile at you. Yeah, it's Jush. Okay. So it's what, now a what's global that? word. Yeah. Jush. <laughs> So zhuzh, you generally, you would say, you know, you're going to zhuzh something up. So you're wearing an outfit and you're going to, you know, stay in the same outfit, but you want to go out. So you're just going to zhuzh it up a little bit. You're going to add a little bit of bling. You're going to just ah. zhuzh things. So you can zhuzh an apartment. You can zhuzh. It's really to to improve it, to to make it better, to make it stand out. So you ah. zhuzh things or you zhuzh people or that kind hmm. of thing. You just zhuzh things to improve them. I got you. You're sprucing something up. Okay. Uh so uh these are both acclaimed cookbooks as well what what uh what is jush faking it <laughs> ah well that one's a very accurate title because although they're both cookbooks i don't cook i don't enjoy cooking at all oh. um <laughs> i love having people over for dinner i love entertaining and spending quality time with friends but i i don't enjoy the hard work that goes into cooking right so i like zhuzhing things up so it's got to be something that's really really easy mm. um and then you just zhuzh it so it could be i mean i'm just thinking off the top of my head here uh like you get a store-bought pizza yeah and you pop that in the oven but then you zhuzh it and you put on avocado and extra onions and more cheese and some little you know you just zhuzh it oh so, you Jackie, you are, uh, you don't even know how much you are preaching to the choir right now. I, uh, <laughs> you, you specifically named it because you know, I live in Japan, which has a, a wonderful culinary tradition and there's lots of just uh -huh. amazing, amazing food here, but you know, they fell asleep on the, on the day that, uh, instructions on how to make pizza were given because <laughs> you cannot <laughs> find good pizza here and you'll buy this. Oh, no. Oh, but you know everything else. Because I, I I love Japan and I love the food here. But you know, no place is utopia. No place is perfect, right? You buy a pizza here, mm -hmm. and it is just like a cheap piece of dough with just one little smattering of tomato sauce and three little sprinkles of cheese. I'm like, this is not. Oh, yeah. No. So my my wife, you know, <laughs> I, when she brought one home one time, I'm like, uh, uh, no. That's not pizza. Let me let, let me juice this thing up. <laughs> yeah, you had to juice it up a lot. <laughs> yes, and so by the time I was done with it, it looked like you know 
a pie. Like, you know, it was like, I don't know if you know Chicago style <laughs> pizza, but it was thick. It was like, but uh, so I now I, I get it. I totally get it. So. Yeah. So that's um, where the faking it came in is, is you, you're faking it. You know, it looks like it might be something that took you an incredibly long time to create or make, but you actually just faked it and it. took a store-bought pizza and zhuzhed it up and just made it phenomenal. You made it gourmet. I love it. Um, all right. Well, uh, something else that you're passionate about that I'm aware of is uh, literacy. And uh, can you tell me, uh, how, how do you use your time these days? I know you, you do some volunteer work. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes, I, especially during COVID and with the whole lockdown and the economy and free fall and um, a lot of the people, I, I'm a freelance writer and a lot of the places that I wrote for on a permanent sort of monthly basis have closed. So there's a lot more time to volunteer, which is, is terrific. Um, and it's a lot more fun volunteering than just looking for work. <laughs> and I do, uh, my two passions are animal welfare and literacy. So the animal welfare is ongoing. I mean, that's sort of 24 seven. Um, and this was work with a project called the Link Literacy Project. And they have um, programs at various schools uh, around Johannesburg that need help, need assistance. And this one, it's not a government school. It's in a large um, township area called Timbisa. And a lot of poverty and underprivileged people. And the school is funded through a church. Um, and it is a spectacular school in this really destitute area. Uh, it, it's just a, an amazing place. And I'm very privileged to, to volunteer there. Mm. And you get a couple of children a year that you work with to increase their comprehension and their reading skills and it's actually quite interesting because I've had some kids that they can read pretty well you know so they'll read you know they'll read you a story or a page and then you ask them what they've just read and they can't tell you oh so, they, you know they're it's just not reading just a it question. like they're just reading yeah, it they're just phonetically reading it. like they're yeah, not, they're, not retaining know, they're, no no it's you know and they can read one young guy that I had um this little boy was my best reader but he just, he didn't understand anything of what mm. he was reading. It, it's really bizarre to see that and quite disturbing because you can assume that this person is understanding what they're reading, but they're not. So it was very much about uh, reading and, and comprehending. So in a way, it was easier when people were still struggling to read and then you go through the whole process together. But when you've got somebody who can read really well, but they, mm. they're not understanding anything, you know, it could be a simple thing like, um, the boy and his dog ran down the road and a blue car crossed the road and he stopped at the red traffic light. And then you would say, what color was the car? And he had no idea. You know, it, hmm. it was it's really, um, yeah. but it was very, very rewarding. And um, I can't imagine something that I am passionate about because I think it's uh, wherever there's a country where they have a very low literacy rate. It seems to be linked to poverty and also um, just really bad people in control. I think um, yeah. you can't underestimate how important education is. It, it lifts people up, it empowers them. And, you know, the disadvantage of being given a document, it could be something like filling out a, a form to, to get a bank account or instructions to go somewhere and you, you can't, you can't read it. I, I can't imagine being that disadvantaged. So yeah. It's something I'm very, very, very pro. Well, we're, we're on the same page. I mean, uh, the, the two 
uh, messages I preach are um, education and travel. So you and I have have those in common. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. One, yeah. one is essential. Well, actually, no, I think they're both essential, but one broadens the mind in a way that um, travel just takes you to another level. Yep. doesn't I, matter how, how educated you are. It just takes you to another level. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they're both critical and, uh, and yeah, they both life-changing um, in, in positive ways. So. Um, yeah. Well, you, you've got a very inspiring story. I, I do love your story. That's why I reached out uh, to you. And, um, you know, like not only, like I said earlier, as a pioneer for, you know, being one of the first women uh, game rangers in Southern Africa, but, you know, what you're still doing with uh, promoting literacy, um, that that's awesome. I really appreciate your time. I um, At the end of each uh, show that I do, I do a, a short segment called Five Minutes In. So, uh, and you don't have to know anything or say anything about Zen. I've got, I sort of tailor my question for everybody that I talk to. And, um, but I, I, I basically give the listener, you know, just something to think about. Uh, I try to offer practical down to earth advice, not anything esoteric or, you know, like the, I, I tell people, this isn't a show for an aspiring Buddhist monk. You don't have to go up into the mountain and meditate for five hours. This is just, this is real world <laughs> stuff. So, um, so my not yeah. Well. <laughs> My question for you, given your uh, your life and your experiences, uh, um, what are you most grateful for these days? What What are you grateful for on kind of a daily basis? Oh my word! Okay, it's maybe not an esoteric question, but it's a very deep question. Okay, I'm going to respond with something that I think is equally deep. It maybe doesn't sound it initially, but it is. And oh, decades and decades ago, a friend of mine's father said to me, there are no happy lives, only happy moments. And I've never, ever forgotten that. And mm. it maybe sounds like a bit of a downer at first, but if you think about it, that is what life is about. It's about making happy moments. And the more happy moments you have, the more you can look back on your life and go, wow, I had a really happy life. But that is made up of happy moments. It's not just a, a state of, of being. And when it comes to being grateful, I there isn't one huge thing that I can go, wow, this is it. It's a lot of little things. It's having my animals around me. It's the way the sun shines through the tree in the garden when I open the window and the curtains in the morning. Um, it's having food in my fridge. It's, mm. I was going to say it's uh, turning on a tap and having water and switching on the light and having electricity, but we have such load shedding in South Africa now that the electricity is pretty rare. Um, but it, it's, it's little things like that, that I think it's so easy to take for granted. Mm. Uh, and there are millions of people in South Africa that don't have those most basic comforts or, I mean, for me, it's a comfort, but it should be an, an essential item you know, water, mm. electricity, education, access to books, um, mm. and safety, safety, yeah. you know, safety in South Africa is very much linked to money. If you've got the, the money for armed response, um, an alarm system, elaborate security in your home, around your home, around your property, there's, there's a lot of little things that like that, that I'm grateful for, that I'm very aware of that millions of people in this okay. country and certainly on the continent don't have. Mm. Wow. Well, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I think uh, what well, you mentioned, the, um, the 
the power outages, the planned power outages, right? The, um, I mean, you, I yeah. forgot what you called it, the. Yes, we call it load shedding. So we don't call them blackouts because blackouts, I guess, are really random and, oh, gee, look, there's no electricity. Now it's <laughs> this whole structured plan. So we have load shedding. That's what they yeah. call it load shedding so it, it means you get a there's an app that you can download or there's probably a few of them now and they will tell you uh unfortunately not with too much notice so you can't plan like your week ahead and it'll go you will have load shedding in two hours or load shedding has already commenced and it's uh, kind of sort of two and a half hours seems to be the average now at least twice a day so wow, really? um pretty inconvenient you know if you don't have any kind of backup power system it means your your router doesn't work for your wi-fi uh can't boil your kettle um right well, that's, so it's, yeah yeah it's that's definitely that's definitely something that i think a lot of people just take for granted you know they just don't, don't you know imagine having to do that twice a day you know um and i really like what you said about happy you know that uh there's not necessarily a happy life but there are happy moments i like that but you, your answer actually was pretty zen whether you were aiming for that or not uh you know, uh, you know a, take it there you go yeah appreciate the happy moments you know and and, and be in, be in those moments when you have them that's awesome well uh that's that that's it for this uh episode uh zen sandwich now has a patreon page um go to patreon.com slash zen sandwich if you'd like to support the show for as little as three bucks, you can uh, help me find more inspiring stories like Jackie's and spread some calm and kindness to the world. Uh, Jackie Thompson, you, really, your uh, your story is awesome. I, I really appreciate your time. Uh, Mark, I appreciate yours. Thank you so much. And it's just amazing that I'm chatting to somebody sitting in Japan. It's just extraordinary. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Uh, have a great day and I hope your power comes on soon. Oh, me too. Thank you very much. <laughs> Cheers, Mark. Bye-bye. Right.